I think uh, none of the things that we know are secrets that the world doesn't know. Uh, it is always, uh, you know, we keep asking three, four questions, right? Uh, are we relevant uh, when we wake up, you know, right as investors? Two, are we enjoying the journey? Uh, you know, with, with the companies or the you know entrepreneurs we choose to work with. And three, are we able to produce results? Are we able to make progress? These questions are no different from a question that an entrepreneur asks himself or herself, right? In terms of, am I making progress? Am I, you know, marching towards my vision? And and are people happy? And and together, you know, will we be able to create success? Hi. Welcome to Forbes India's The Startup Fridays Show, a weekly conversation with accomplished tech entrepreneurs, VC investors, and other folk who are doing significant work in the Indian startup ecosystem. You can find a new episode every Friday evening. You can also find us live on Instagram every Friday morning. I'm Hari Arakli, and my guest today is Satish Andhra. He's Managing Director at India Partners, and uh, he serves on the boards of several startups, uh, various, uh, you know, he's the point person for the investment from the firm. Uh, some of these are uh, Alpha IC's uh, Darwin Box, which I, I think recently became a unicorn, Kisht, uh, Opitra's Luri. Some of his past investments include uh, Seclor, Little Eye Labs, which was acquired by Facebook, uh, MGinger, which was acquired by Trilio. Uh, previously, uh, Satish was uh, uh, a partner at Venture East and the DFJ. He was also an entrepreneur. Uh, he was founder and CEO of Euclid, a Silicon Valley startup which uh, worked in the area of IT management uh, software. On his personal front, he's, uh, he works with uh, the Pulela Gopichand Badminton Academy to promote sport uh, and uh, awareness of chronic diseases in the corporate world. He was also himself a top-ranked table tennis player uh, representing Andhra Pradesh State uh, in the nationals uh, in India. Satish has a bachelor's and master's degree in electrical engineering uh, with more than two decades of experience uh, in the industry. Uh, Satish, fantastic you're able to make time for this uh, today. Uh, welcome to the show. No, thank you. Thanks, Hari, for having me on the show. Look forward. All right. So just to get us uh, started, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the path that uh, brought you to India. You started out as an, uh, as an entrepreneur, but uh, switched to being a VC investor. Uh, tell us a bit about that. Give us a snapshot of that journey and we'll go from there. Yeah. So uh, like, uh, you know, many other engineers, uh, more so from AP, right? Uh, you know, after their undergrad, they go to US for masters. I did that as well. Uh, was lucky to move to Silicon Valley at the right time uh, and uh, started working with large corporations, a company called BLSI Technology, later a company called LSI Logic. Main customers were folks like Apple and Cisco. And uh, when you are in the Valley, very quickly, uh, you get exposure to startup ecosystem. Um, naturally, you get inducted uh, because there's so much activity happening. And uh, especially post Netscape going public with the invention of browser, right? Uh, I think uh, the internet era took off in the valley. I went and worked for a startup called T-Square, a network process startup in two years. You know, we got acquired. Uh, I kind of did a U-turn at that point of time, you know, from engineering, product marketing roles, also working for a startup uh, I conceived and incubated and uh, started you know Euclid uh, it was a great journey a um, lot of learnings 
a lot of mistakes as well, raised uh, 40 odd million dollars in venture capital all in the valley, built a good company. Uh, through that journey, um, like I said, uh, you know, learned a lot about how do you build a company, but also committed mistakes, work with mentors. Uh, Ram Sriram, you know, was an angel investor in Google, was one of my advisors, uh, you know, in that journey. Uh, another gentleman called uh, Raj Singh, you know, who had sold, uh, founded and sold a bunch of companies to Cisco, most notable being Sirant for six billion or so those days was another advisor. I really enjoyed the journey of entrepreneurship and I just felt like, you know, I would love to work with many good entrepreneurs, you know, working on different ideas. Um, while I started in the semiconductor space, I moved to software space and uh, used to avidly follow internet. Uh, so that kind of piqued my curiosity saying, especially going and working with great entrepreneurs, helping them uh, you know, in their journey would be very interesting and also rewarding. That's how I moved to the other side of the table, the venture capital world. Mm. Uh, today, uh, tell us a bit about uh, what India Partners is about. Uh, it's a, I understand it's an early stage VC uh, firm, but you also have some uh, characteristics that are unique to your firm. Tell us a bit about that. So, uh, you know, our purpose, right, when we got started in, you know, 2015, late 2015, 2016, uh, we knew, you know, India had gone through a couple of entrepreneurship waves. The first one I look at between 96 to 2007, 2008, till the financial crisis was a lot about IT services, pharma services, and even semiconductor services, ITES, um, kind of better, faster, cheaper, providing the skills, deploying solutions for the globe. I think those entrepreneurs did a great job of building Brand India. Now, the second wave of entrepreneurship, internet, mobile apps, you know, to some extent, logistics, fintech, edtech, all of that happened from 2009-10. Um, you know, it's continuing even now. So 2016, our gumption was that uh, there would be many product startups. There would be many B2B startups. And uh, India had the talent, engineering talent. So, uh, you know, product marketing, product management talent was missing. And we saw, you know, kind of one person founding teams becoming three or four people on day one itself. So we felt that, you know, uh, that would be uh, a great, uh, you know, purpose uh, or uh, that's what excited us, you know, to support those kind of entrepreneurs who are building products for uh, not just India markets, but regional and global markets. The second thing um, we wanted to be the first institutional investor. So, which means, you know, we can't be all things to all people, you know, from day one, uh, we didn't want to, uh, you know, invest in um, hundreds of companies. We wanted to have a concentrated portfolio and work with entrepreneurs. It's their dream, you know, that's why we call ourselves co-founder, VC or a Sharpa. How do we help them? How do we measure our value addition in terms of helping them launch the product, get customer traction, hire talent where they have gaps, and then have a plan ready for growth. Um, so that was the second thing. And, and the third was, we said, uh, you know, certainly we would invest in businesses and domains that we understand. Um, so those were the kind of three tenets how India got started and we're investing actively from our second fund. It's been a great journey thanks to, you know, good entrepreneurs, um, you know, we were lucky to partner with and uh, their hard work, our focus, timing, and a slice of luck. This point you made about uh, startups, uh, 
uh, emerging where from day one itself you see multiple founders. What, what is the significance of that? Uh, no, so, you know, between 2007-8 until almost 2012-13-14, uh, when you get business plans and you invest, at best you would see one or two founders, right, in the founding team. So, but today you see, you know, almost three people founding team, if not more, right? So, uh, now they all have complementary skills, uh, which is very important. You know, if a founder is a technology guy, you know, they'd bring uh, sales business development uh, or operations expertise also on day one within the founding team. So, when you have a larger founding team with complementary skills, the company gets to move very fast, right? And also they, those skills are available in the core team, what are critical for a company's success. So you're not going out there convincing someone to come and join you, you know, in the early part of your journey, where there is high amount of risk, all kinds of risk, whether it's product risk, market risk, team risk. So having a core founding team with complementary skills is a big blessing. That's what we see time and again today, which was not the case several years ago. You all published a fascinating recap of the last uh, 12 months at uh, India. Just uh, walk us through some of the really interesting highlights. So, uh, Hari, again, you know, capital is a commodity. I believe that. Not, not today. You know, for several years, I'm a firm belief that capital chases ideas. It's not the other way around. And entrepreneurs build value in the companies, not investors. So, for us, you know, always... Like I said, you know, we want to work with entrepreneurs who are solving great problems and and we couldn't be all things to all people, which means we had to be very stage focused and also sector focused. So for us, the sectors are technology, including SaaS, you know, deep tech and SaaS, uh, financial services and healthcare. Let me talk about, you know, just few companies, right, that we've funded in the last one year. Um, you know, within healthcare, if you look at uh, diagnostics is a huge space and AI applications in diagnostics. Uh, you know, in Fund One, we had invested in Sictipal, which is AI pathology. Uh, you know, last year we invested in, you know, Synapsica, which is AI radiology. So within radiology, you know, you already get digital images, whether you're applying that on brain or chest or spine, uh, you know, you're complementing radiologists, uh, enabling faster throughput, remote diagnostics as well as annotation, uh, you know, by being fairly accurate. Um, that's one example. Another company called Sugarfit, uh, which is in the diabetes management space, right, to begin with. Uh, but, uh, you know, they will look at chronic diseases. Uh, chronic disease management is a big, um, you know, thing for India. You know, a couple of hundred million Indians suffer from diabetes, COPD, cancer. So how do you really diagnose and how do you have a healthy lifestyle, including how do you eat well, work out, uh, you know, obviously uh, moderate uh, if one, one, you know, takes alcohol and a uh, lot of meditation, right? All these things help. So how do you do digital therapeutics to enable that service, a protocol-oriented service and reach out to, you know, millions of people? And if you look at Carquinos, Carquinos is in oncology space. A very, very seasoned team, six popular forms of cancer. Uh, if you look at the cancer treatment, I mean, once cancer gets diagnosed, obviously, you know, there is 
surgical oncology, chemotherapy, radiation. But very early on, you know, how do you diagnose? And then how do you uh, put them on the care path? You know, be their friend, uh, you know, the patient to navigate the care path, including getting secondary opinion, alternate access to alternate medicines, personalized medicine. All of that is not something uh, any company is solving today, but that's going to be a huge opportunity. Uh, we have the good fortune of investing in Carquinos. Now, you look at financial services, Capita was another investment last year. Uh, private markets today, you know, if you are talking about 80 odd unicorns in India and we're all predicting that it'll go to 125 and 200 in a few years, even in our public markets, we don't have 200 billion dollar companies, right? So, in a private market, if you end up having you know, 200 billion dollar companies and they all have employees. So managing, you know, cap tables becomes very complex, you know, in terms of equity, debt, um, safe notes, uh, convertible, uh, preferred, common, all kinds of complexities. Second thing is ease of plans. Today, there's talent war and to attract the right people, right talent, retain them, you've got to give ESOPs and you've noticed a lot of ESOP buyback programs as well. And so managing ESOPs is not easy. And third, most important thing is liquidity. Liquidity for the founders, liquidity for the employees, and eventually liquidity even for angel investors and other investors. So Capita is the SaaS platform that allows companies to manage cap tables and ESOP plans, but also enables liquidity. And we believe in this part of the world, that's a very, very, very large opportunity. Another company uh, in the financial services space, Upside, if you look at Upside, you know, they are an AI-driven uh, portfolio management services company. So normally you have great analysts who are very successful because of their past track record, uh, building product portfolios and recommending them to buyers or investors. But here, machine plays that role, algorithm plays that role. So a brilliant founding team wanting to obviously leverage AI and leverage fundamentals to create products for both retail and institutional investors. That's our kind of, and GRIP is an alternate investment platform giving better yield, you know, than many, many other avenues out there and they're growing pretty fast as well. Come, you know, coming back to SaaS, you know, Zluri, uh, as, as the world embraces more and more SaaS, now you need to manage your SaaS environment. For every company, even a mid-sized company, they have several hundred SaaS applications and they have a few thousand employees. So how do you know which applications you have within your environment? How do you catalog them? How do you monitor the usage and optimize the spend? Also onboarding, offboarding of employees, there are huge security implications. So how do you manage those implications? Scrut, which is a compliance platform, data privacy, information security is a big deal. GDPR, SOC 2, ISO 27000. So when you look at all of this compliance, and, and nobody wants to do business with SaaS companies or cloud companies that are not compliant. Scrut kind of fast tracks the compliance for these companies. So these are some of the companies we invested in the last one year and we have you know, a few more very exciting investments in the pipeline this year. Uh, I go back to, we need to like the problem entrepreneurs are solving, you know, reasonably large market, like the team because we go in very, very early. And, and then we go to work. If you uh, step back uh, and look at uh, some of the biggest changes in the world, I mean, keeping aside, of course, uh, 
the ongoing conflict conflict in ukraine I mean, nobody can say what all that will spawn but apart from that from a tech perspective uh there are so many advances from a vc investors perspective uh, what are the kind of companies that you are seeing emerge uh, anywhere in the world uh, you know in terms of all the rapid uh, unprecedented advances in technology what kind of companies are coming up and uh, how do you approach uh, an investment decision in some of these companies yeah so um you know i'm i'm very excited about what's going to happen you know the next 7 10 years right even last 5 years when you look at ai you look at blockchain you look at robotics uh, 5g of course is going to go to mainstream deployment right now um and then you look at quantum computing uh, you look at materials um all of these um you know are are kind of going mainstream now right outside of you know the bigger themes like web 3.0 and you know blockchain and distributed applications out there so always as as venture capitalists i think you know you got to look at both top down and bottom up top down is your intuition in terms of where the world is going to go bottom up is what you see on the field right what entrepreneurs are thinking about and what kind of plans are you seeing in your pipeline and in your funnel so i am very excited about you know bunch of these frontier technologies going mainstream and they're going to have applications fundamentally that are going to democratize whole bunch of sectors when you really look at sensors quantum computing right and you know ai that's going to change medicine uh you know you see uh handheld ultrasound devices you really don't need to go to a tertiary care setup to diagnose kind of yourself right and and when we talk about uh, you know ai pathology or ai radiology or uh, even ai oncology and then um, you know kind of uh, connecting you with second opinion or a panel uh, you know that could give you insights all of that is going to happen now so clearly mobility you know we have seen mobility going mainstream all the way from you know passenger vehicles or two wheelers four wheelers to commercial light commercial vehicles heavy commercial vehicles mobility is kind of going mainstream uh, quantum computing will go mainstream which again has radical uh, you know disruptions in in many areas you know whether it is in space whether it is in financial services or even healthcare i talked about gene sequencing was not possible it was very expensive you know several years ago but today with quantum computing and once it goes mainstream cost is going to come down significantly that is going to enable you know personalized medicine right so that said it's going to be a step by step process and and when you deploy 5g and you have iot edges edges to become so much more intelligent um you know within edge uh, today what happens is you bring in data you know from the sources whether it's autonomous vehicles unmanned aerial vehicles industrial robots smart cities um you know factory environments all of that data goes to cloud and cloud is where compute happens cloud is where labeling happens learning happens inferencing happens but going forward you need rapid response times you need actions to be taken at the edge and if that needs to happen edge needs to become intelligent so you're going to see many many more intelligent edge companies uh whether is edge processors edge 
uh, operating systems, edge applications for each of the verticals that are going to be built. So kind of a long-winded answer, you know, for your question. Uh, certainly, edge is going to be one main theme. Uh, you know, we're going to look at applications of blockchain. Uh, and then how do you even bridge the crypto universe with the mainstream universe? You want to maintain, you know, a mirror image of the mainstream universe, which is regulated uh, with, with kind of crypto to some extent, not regulated, you know, universally, right? Even those that kind of middleware will have significant value, you know, if one builds it and makes it available, um, you know, on an API basis. So for us, I think all these themes of broadly disruptive tech, SaaS, you know, healthcare, financial services, uh, very excited about what's going to happen next five years. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at uh, your investments in uh, Scrut and uh, Capita, I mean, to me, they jump out as examples of entrepreneurs who are coming, uh, coming up with some really sophisticated software, uh, which I guess sort of plays to India's strength. But uh, you mentioned sensors and edge computing. You, I mean, one hardly still sees any uh, startup in India coming up with serious hardware uh, technology. Do you see that changing or have you, because you're an investor, have you come across many more? Yeah, yeah, no, I think we've made three bets, right? And uh, deep tech companies, again, um, you know, uh, obviously struggle a little bit because there's not a lot of early stage capital available in the country. So uh, clearly, uh, if you look at uh, Mylan, uh, you know, which we funded, Mylan Foundry, uh, Gopi Kadrakada was the ex-CTO of Tata Sons, is building this Edge uh, OS stack. So which is hardware agnostic, which is also kind of the library agnostic. There are various CNNs or neural networks, right, used for training the models and, and learning and inferencing. Now, if you make that transparent and then give API, today he's able to solve industrial application problems, whether those are ports or airports, uh, media entertainment, you know, how do you really stream high resolution video to the edge without using a lot of caching or cloud, uh, you know, uh, caching networks like uh, Akamai or uh, Speedera, you know, kind of things, right? Also, in the areas of autonomous vehicles, you know, level three to level four to level five ADAS uh, driver assistance systems, of course, level five becomes autonomous, level three and four uh, is driver assistance. So these companies are beginning to emerge. Uh, you know, we've, we've heard about, of course, uh, Gray Orange Robotics has done well, Detect Technologies, you know, which is also, you know, a kind of a sensor play. Uh, but I keep telling these entrepreneurs and, and, and our co-investors, the onus is on us as investors to work with entrepreneurs and create success stories. I think once we do that, um, then many others will come and follow. The talent is there, immense talent is there. I think the market is there. Today, uh, people are not able to, uh, you know, build companies uh, quickly. So we need to change that. And the only way we can change that is by uh, producing these success stories and creating playbooks for others to follow. Mm. You, you, you were in Silicon Valley yourself for several years, uh, building your company. Um, can you, uh, I don't know if it's uh, if it makes sense to compare the Indian startup ecosystem with that, but uh, 
given that uh, the ecosystem here is beginning to mature a little bit, uh, are you finding some of those ingredients in the Indian uh, startup ecosystem today which can support really deep uh, innovation? I mean, beyond what we are seeing in terms of fintech and so on, but really original uh, hard engineering problems being solved, uh, you know, build in India for the world, that kind of, you know, a philosophy. Yeah, so um, uh, I, I think I think we're halfway there. Um, talent is available, as I said, early on, we had engineering talent, but then now, you know, they're teaming up with product marketing, product management talent. Uh, one company in our portfolio called iSTEM, you know, they are a pluripotent stem cell therapy platform. So what you do is you grow these cells and you inject them in human body and, and solve some of the rare disease problems. Age-related macular degeneration, 100 odd million people around the world suffer from this. So by injecting these stem cells into retina, you know, kind of in layman terms, they enable people to kind of regain their vision. Animal trials are over now. They're going to about to start like kind of human trials. So a lot of these deep tech companies take seven, eight, nine years, right? Or sometimes even six years to invest in a company called Alpha ICs, which is an AI processor company. Edge processor competes against the likes of, you know, NVIDIA's or Intel's or uh, others. It takes three, four years and 15, 20 million dollars to get a functional chip that's ready for production and scale. So question then is, do investors have appetite to support those kinds of companies, which are going to be in the lab, not having revenue, don't know what the future is going to look like. So Valley, you know, we can't compare. I lived there 15, 16 years. And again, they have, they, they, the entrepreneurial ecosystem evolved there from 60s, even if you discount 60s from 70s. So that's 50 years of history. So for us, it's been relatively maybe 15 years, right? So maybe in another 10 years, uh, we all leapfrog. I think uh, always, uh, you know, the beauty about Indian ecosystem is that, you know, we are kind of on a logarithmic scale, not on a linear scale. So hopefully in the next five years, all these brilliant entrepreneurs and with some of the investor support uh, will create, you know, these companies which become inspiration for many others to follow. I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that and I believe that in the next three, five years, you'll see definitely a good set of companies, fairly large companies, deep tech companies, you know, coming out of this region. Mm. At, at NDR, uh, when you talk about uh, working, you know, like a Sherpa or like a co-creator uh, in practice, what does that entail? What it entails is, uh, that's a great question. You know, we ourselves didn't want to drink our own Kool-Aid uh, you know, we had to define what does that mean, right? So we look at four or five things. When we when we partner with entrepreneurs and again, some of them, in some examples, we gave them the term sheet. So they went and resigned from their current job, served a notice period of 45, 60 days and incorporated a company and started the company. So that's how early we got involved, right? In, you know, so clearly we look at four or five dimensions. One is product, uh, two is customers. Three is revenue, four is team, and fifth is funding, you know, quantum of capital raised. So those are the five dimensions where we kind of measure, you know, are we adding value? Are we adding seminal value? But in all of these, the credit goes to entrepreneurs. It's the entrepreneur's dream, and they are the ones who make it happen. 
uh, we're not driving the car from the back seat. Uh, but that said, uh, you know, we are brainstorming, we are participating, you know, we are uh, making introductions, uh, making sales pitches with them. Uh, and we enjoy that. Um, you know, that's the zero to one journey that we really enjoy. Whether me, Dr. Ramesh, uh, you know, my partner, Abhishek, Abhiram, you know, all, all our colleagues uh, enjoy that. So, but I think the beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder. Uh, we may obviously perceive our value addition in a particular way, but our entrepreneurs would be uh, the right people to talk to to see how much value were we able to add in their journey. Uh, when you invest in someone so early, uh, what do you look for? Uh, I mean, I get that you would, of course, look at the experience of the founder and the quality of the idea uh, and things like that. But uh, is this a purely data-driven scientific exercise or are there other factors which are more subjective? How does it work in practice? I think I think there are two approaches, Ari. You know, uh, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if you see more and more AI-driven funds. Uh, also, right? I mean, uh, you will have an AI general partner in a fund. What I mean is that, that that algorithm would be programmed to go source and screen and identify the right deals. There's so much data available. There's so many patterns available that you can train. Now, there's another approach which is really, you know, construct your portfolio and you have a concentrated portfolio of a 20 to 25 companies maybe in each fund. And how do you do that? For us, I think... It is very uh, easy to say, oh, you know, once a company becomes successful, I knew that it is going to be successful from day one. And that's a lie if I say that. I think since we get involved very, very early, what we look for is, do we uh, understand the problem they're trying to solve? Uh, can we relate to that problem? And does that problem interest us? Number one, right? Second is, uh, do we like the team? And, and is there a team... You know, we always talk about product market fit, but also you need to talk about founder problem fit. You know, is this founder the right founder to solve this problem, right? And and then, you know, we look at what does it take, uh, you know, to go validate your assumptions. There's so many assumptions. We never look for five-year business plans because we look for at best one-year plan or, or even six months plan. How are they thinking? What assumptions have, you know, kind of they put in, you know, and, and will those assumptions... Uh, be validated quickly and and then we look at you know who else is going to compete with them and what are the barriers of entry uh, these are the things that we look for you know when we roll up our sleeves and say yes you know let's partner and and go take next steps mm. so from from a uh, an entrepreneur's perspective uh, when you started out by saying that money is a, a commodity uh, so from an entrepreneur's perspective, uh, what would you advise them? I mean, should they take uh, money when it's available from a VC firm or should they hold out uh, for a VC uh, firm that can uh, act like, you know, in your case, like a Sherpa that can bring a lot more value in terms of your expertise and so on? Yeah. Um, so again, there are multiple approaches here. You know, one size does not fit all. I keep saying uh, there's nothing wrong in somebody building a company organically without ever raising capital from an investor. You know, if, if your customers are going to fund you and if you're willing to run that marathon uh, and, and you think you're good, fine, follow that path and, and do it. But if you think you're building something which needs to grow reasonably fast 
within five, seven years and be one of the market leaders because there's competition, right? Or it'll get commoditized and you need certain amount of capital. Then you have to go raise capital, right? But when you're raising capital, entrepreneurs are always optimistic. Um, it takes longer and it costs more, you know, to build companies. So we always tell them, you know, take 20% more than what you think you need. And also in terms of, you know, just be very cautious and be very watchful till you know that the assumptions are all valid and what you really thought will work is, is proven on the field. So there's always this stated value proposition versus implemented value proposition. Uh, stated value proposition is glorified in all the pitch decks. Implemented value proposition is what you really prove in the field, right? When you take it out to the field. So now when you're raising that kind of capital, if it's 2 million, 3 million, fine. You know, today I keep saying this, right? During good times, there are no angels left in the heaven. You know, they're all angel investing right on earth. And during tough times, you know, I mean, I don't think anybody will come to your rescue. So you have to decide, you can't raise good money for a bad idea. Only entrepreneur knows whether the idea is good or bad. Investors can only diligence so much, but investors will not know it entirely. So you can't raise good money for a bad idea or bad money for a good idea. So you need to be careful in terms of choosing who are the right partners for your cap table. And in that context, if there are funds, you know, even big funds today, they're billions of dollars. They can write a million dollar check. They also write a hundred million dollar check. The question then becomes, you know, will they pay the same attention to you if you're not able to grow really fast, right? Or they have hundreds of companies that they need to deal with. And hence, you know, obviously you may not be getting all the attention. By the way, all, all VC firms work very hard and, and most of them add value and their partners, you know, who are working very closely with entrepreneurs. I'm not going to belittle any of them, but set of smaller funds, let's say sub hundred million dollar uh, size are, are the right ones at the seed stage. If you ask me, occasionally the big funds may go and make certain seed investments, but they can't sustain too many seed investments. So it's entrepreneur needs to make the choice who to work with. Mm. From a VC investor's point of view, I mean, in the Indian startup ecosystem today, uh, so many new aspiring entrepreneurs are coming up. And uh, I would imagine India can still do with many more uh, VC firms and much more capital and so on. So from your perspective, do you uh, are there things that help you stand out? And do you, do you need to work harder to get the best entrepreneurs on your portfolio? Absolutely. You know, we need to work harder. Um... I think uh, none of the things that we know are secrets that the world doesn't know. Uh, it is always, uh, you know, we keep asking three, four questions, right? Uh, are we relevant uh, when we wake up, you know, right as investors? Two, are we enjoying the journey, uh, you know, with, with the companies or the part, you know, entrepreneurs we choose to work with? And three, are we able to produce results? Are we able to make progress? These questions are no different from a question that an entrepreneur asks himself or herself, right? In terms of, am I making progress? Am I, you know, marching towards my vision? And, and are people happy? And, and together, you know, will we be able to create success? So there's a lot of capital, but if you really look at set of entrepreneurs that we have in our portfolio, take the case of iSTEM. Jogin was a CEO of a large CRO company, right? Global. Look at Gopi, the CEO of Tata Sons, earlier MD of GE, right? 
Krishnan and Ranveer at KIST were 15 plus years each at McKinsey, you know, in financial services. Uh, and we wrote a seed check, you know, for KIST, right? So we also have young entrepreneurs, no doubt, you know, who are in 30s or late 20s or early 30s, uh, you know, with 5-10 years of work experience starting companies. Uh, they they get to understand, right? After one or two or three meetings, they get to understand what it is going to be like partnering with India, you know, how will India help them in their journey? And we keep telling this to entrepreneurs, right? And and this happens, you you know, the Parla in the VC ecosystem, you know, two, three companies pay for all the losers. And to sell is human as human beings. We always talk about our winners. We don't talk about skeletons in the closet. Now, but for the entrepreneur, it is opportunity cost. It is one out of one for the entrepreneur, right? For VCs, it may be three out of 20 or four out of 20. Now, we care about that entrepreneur's life and the opportunity cost. Even though it may not be a spectacular success, we want to be honest with them because otherwise they'll end up wasting their lives as well as someone else's time and money. So it's very important for us to be honest with them you know, in the journey. And that's the approach we have followed. For a VC firm that has given itself the mandate of backing, uh, uh, you know, deep intellectual property-led companies, uh, does that uh, intensify the tension between a founder's vision to build his or her company in a certain way and uh, your constraints of uh, needing to return money to your LPs over a certain period of time? Yeah, so um, I think it is. it should always be founder's vision and founder's dream, right? And that should prevail. At the end of the day, it's their dream. Uh, but that said, one needs to be also pragmatic. Uh, one needs to learn from the market. You know, even a founder, even most seasoned founder, if you really ask me, right, sometimes uh, second-time founders are, you know, more painful or dangerous to work with because there are a lot of assumptions in terms of what works. Uh, might have seen success earlier, you know, for whatever reason, now have those biases that they would bring to the table. Whereas a first-time entrepreneur is kind of like, you know, a blank white page or slate, uh, you know, and, and they're willing to learn and then morph, you know, their journey, uh, what it takes. So we don't obviously force them, you know, to kind of travel a particular path. But it's also important for them to learn, be open to learning. You know, they can't have their blinkers on and say, you know, I'm not going to pay attention to anyone. In the end, who will end up losing? You know, it would be the entrepreneur. You know, if they're not able to build, you know, a valuable company after spending seven, nine, ten years of their life. Now, as far as the fund life cycle is concerned, Hari, I think things have changed significantly, right? If you have a good company, uh, your own LPs are willing to you know, obviously do secondaries and retire other LPs who have pressure, time pressure. There are secondary focus funds, you know, who are willing to buy out your earlier LPs. We've seen what has happened even in Indian scenario. Whole bunch of them have done this, like Prime talked about this publicly, Bloom talked about it. So there are many, many alternatives for fund managers. This 10-year cycle honestly does not restrict them. It's question of is company making the intended progress or is it stuck? For you, uh, what are some of the biggest uh, takeaways from your uh, entrepreneurial stint? I mean, you you were a founder, a CEO. You onboarded uh, you know big customers. You also successfully raised a fair amount of money. 
what are some of the biggest uh, uh, learnings from that experience i think couple of big learnings right um, one was uh, early on when we started you know after the uh, you know right around the dot com crash our software you know we built a piece of software that would monitor uh, applications and servers and network and user experience and all of that and help internet companies obviously fine tune their web infrastructure so we had uh, humongous traction lot of revenue but post dot com crash you know we found out that you 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 got to eliminate single points of failure in your business and very quickly we had to morph and build a licensed software earlier we were managing that software those days it was called application service providers today it's called saas because it runs on cloud it's a single instance you know multi tenant so asp was the previous nomenclature in 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 that incarnation so eliminate single points of failures in your business and the second thing i think was you know we hired a wrong ceo as a founder one of the largest shareholders raised 40 odd million dollars uh made wrong decisions you know in management hiring including bringing a ceo uh, who was going to take our journey you know uh, from 10 million to kind of say 25 million uh path didn't work out uh within a year that year was a lot of time you know a lot of money a lot of time uh and a lot of energy wastage so when you make a hiring mistakes it's not really the money you pay the head hunter it's not the money you pay the wrong person who comes and works with you it's really undoing it and getting back on to the right track is what costs startups very dearly right so that is a big learning um you know in terms of uh how do you hire you know the right set of people you know who you work with and and to me i think you don't build companies uh, you can't say build to last you go and read that book build to last by collins there are many companies that don't exist but the book's title was built to last so as an entrepreneur i keep saying you can't say i'm building this company as an institution that lasts forever neither can you say i'm building this to sell in 3 years or 5 years what you're going to do is you know build the product or a service to solve the problem deliver the value to the customer through right distribution measure the unit economics cost versus revenues right have the right team and get to certain scale magic happens when you do that and at that point of time if a lucrative offer comes your way that's an mna offer so be it take it and at that time you know you want to go to the next step great you know continue your journey nobody is going to stop you don't have these artificial you know rules built into your journey because that's not how it works from a I mean you've been an entrepreneur you've been an investor for several years uh, maybe there aren't any surprises but i still want to ask you uh, what have you seen are the top challenges for both uh, aspiring entrepreneurs and investors who want to back them i think i think the biggest challenge is um, you know uh, the problem i mean let's let's carry away the entrepreneur hat right so if i come up with an idea you know i'm in love with that idea i want to solve that problem i might have done some diligence and focus groups and research and all that now let's look at my journey as an entrepreneur in the initial phase of the journey as soon as i get the product i want to go sell uh, to everyone you know that will buy that's just because i want to prove that i'm smart and my idea is right now you need to transition from that phase to the second phase which is i need to sell to the ideal customer who i had in mind not everybody who's willing to buy 
and and then the phase three is now I need to sell it profitably, right? And phase four for entrepreneur is like I need to dominate the market or I need to be one of the top players in this market with good amount of market leadership or percentage market ownership. So in that journey, you know, where do they get stuck is what they need to evaluate. And it's a very, very difficult journey because today's time and age with so much money available, so many entrepreneurs pursuing startup, you know, kind of careers. And, and it's a global village out there while, you know, geopolitical issues have surfaced last few years because of pandemic and every nation is building walls, uh, you know, around, you know, in its fences, but still entrepreneurship is global. I mean, Israel, somebody will wake up and want to do the same, uh, you know, you know, New York or Valley, somebody is building the same Tokyo or Cambridge or Singapore, uh, or, or in India itself, there are two other competitors. So, how do you be even aware of who else is competing with you and how much progress have they made versus you? And, and how do you make sure that, you know, you're going to build a reasonable size business? That's the challenge. And this can't be written in books. This can't be taught. And, and, you know, you can, you can learn from some playbooks and some others experiences and some advice, but your journey is your journey, right? Climbing mountains. Uh, it's the same. Your experience is is your experience. You know, you you reach the base camp, but then how you you know obviously follow or plan. You know, and then you need you know great sharpers. You know, to kind of guide you and take you there, right? So it's it's unique and it's different. So you can't say I know it all. That's why successful serial entrepreneurs you have a lot of respect for them, saying that oh my god, you know they knew how to build companies multiple times. Now, coming to the VC side of the table, it's very interesting because the reason why I get excited, wake up every morning very energetic is that I really don't know what I don't know, right? I'm learning. Uh, I can't go with an assumption that, oh, you know what, I know it all. Well, I would have encountered certain circumstances, certain problems each of these entrepreneurs would have encountered and we would have solved those problems and hence, I have a repository or a database of problems versus solutions that might work that I would be able to recommend, right? So, and that's the, the that's the best part. Uh, you know, you learn. I used to, you know, sitting in Valley, you know, some of these legends, uh, you know, like Don Valentine, Dick Ramlick, um, you know, even my old boss, you know, Tim Draper, uh, some of these people, you know, I used to, wonder right at 70 or 80 or 60 you know they're so enthused you know they're attending the meetings pitch meetings they're listening they're taking notes you know what's the driver the driver is that they're listening to these great entrepreneurs you know we're going to change the world we're coming up with new ideas and and they're learning something new and that's what it is for all the vcs who are in the game for serious reasons mm. Uh, I can't help uh, but asking after this uh, kind of uh, description of your life uh, as a VC investor, uh, everyone says it's a great time to start a company in India today. Uh, what would you tell someone who wants to be an aspiring VC investor in India? Well, uh, I think there are two, three ways. A lot of people come and talk to me. Um, again, um, you know, there are a few people who just come from the financial world and are very, very successful. Uh, you know, in the VC business, they're great analysts, they're great strategy people, they're very good with numbers, probably, you know, they're way good uh, spotting trends and maybe better off at the growth stage. 
but operators, people who have run companies in the past, you know, sold, who have built, right, uh, you know, who have serviced customers, uh, the right set of people uh, to do the early stage, uh, you know, investments because they have the operational expertise uh, that will help them. Now, you could, you know, out of, you know, business school or whatever, you could start and then become a principal and then later a partner and a general partner. That's one track. The other track is you become a successful entrepreneur and then you say, look, I've understood how to build companies. I would be able to support a few more entrepreneurs. So let me work with three, four, five companies. And then maybe later I'll start investing very actively, you know, in tens of companies. That's another track. To me, I think, you know, it's it's a marathon, just like entrepreneurship. It is not a sprint. One could get lucky and buy a lottery ticket that returns, you know, a lot of money. But that doesn't mean that you are a seasoned venture capitalist. Uh, you need to build companies. Building companies take time. So it takes 8 to 10 years, 12 years. Uh, so you need to have patience. So if you have the domain expertise, right, two, three things matter. Domain expertise, uh, geographic exposure, you know, certain geographies. If you're really good in Southeast Asia, good in Europe, or good in US, or very good in India, and then a skill, a specific skill. You're good in product, you're good in sales, you're good in distribution, marketing. So if you can combine these three, you know, a vertical skill, a functional skill, a geographic exposure, you know, then that'll allow you to be reasonably successful and also be credible, right? We ask ourselves this question I told you earlier, why are we relevant, right? When we wake up, there's so much money available. How does it matter, you know, if you're able to cut a $2 million check for an entrepreneur? There are 10 other sources they can get the 2 million, maybe at a higher valuation. So to be relevant, you have to be credible. An entrepreneur needs to believe that you will add value, right? And do you really believe you will add value is a question that you need to ask yourself. Excellent. Uh, just a few questions. Think of them as uh, rapid fire questions. Don't think too much about the answer. Answer them in half a minute or less. Uh, first one, uh, one habit, first thing in the day uh, that sets you up for the rest of the day. I, uh, you know, I, I wake up, I breathe deeply, uh, you know, have a lot of gratitude that I could wake up, you know, and I'm breathing. And, uh, you know, if at all possible, I work out in the mornings or I meditate. All right. Uh, one piece of advice that you probably didn't get earlier on in your career. Uh, you know, uh, I'd say never uh, make any assumptions. You know, never make any assumptions. Okay. Uh, you mentioned some of uh, the people that you respected, but still uh, one person that you really look up to. You know, I have I have a bunch of them, Hari. I can't say one person. And to me, um, you know, I learn a lot uh, even from my children, right? In a, in a very different context. Um, so it is very difficult for me to say this one particular person. But there are a few people, you know, that have influenced my thinking, you know, that have kind of helped me uh, think differently. Uh, you know, my bosses, earlier bosses, for example, when I was working with that LSI Logic, you know, my boss who's very young, went on to become CEO of Altera, um, John Dana. You know, he told me that, look, uh, always, you know, you'll, you'll think about a product you're building. I was an engineering manager with patents and leading a large engineering team, but always think about customer and your competition, right? And and you need to look at the confluence of those three. And that's kind of where, you know, you will you will be able to see magic happening. Uh, Tim, 
the time I spent with Tim, he kind of taught how do you think big and how do you think really out of the box. Um, so Gopi, you know, was a very good friend, Pulal Gopi Chand. Uh, you know, I learned a lot from him. I mean, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, he's the one, uh, you know, who talks about patience and just believing in the journey, right? And 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 staying detached. So similarly, there are a bunch of people, you know, who have taught me various things at different points of life. And I think many, many more will teach me, including several entrepreneurs. Uh, if you like reading uh, one book that you would recommend? Power of Now. All right. And finally, uh, one city that you would love to live in? Again, a few of them. And uh, and that's how I've chosen uh, to spend my time. Uh, San Francisco Bay Area is a great place, uh, not just because of startup ecosystem and quantum of funding, number of unicorns, all that. You know, it's a beautiful place. A uh, lot of energy, mountains, ocean, uh, right temperature. Uh, you know, all people from all over the world, various cultures. And uh, I love Hyderabad. Uh, you know, it's a great place. Um, so so these are the places. I love to travel, visit. Um, I have nothing against any specific city, uh, but uh, these are two places I like. Excellent. Uh- very enjoyable conversation, Satish. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for making time for it again. Definitely hope to keep the conversation going. Thanks so much for the opportunity. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. That is Satish Andra from India VC. That's it for this week's Startup Fridays. I'll be... Uh, oh, next week is, I think, uh, Holy on a Friday. Uh, so I probably won't be back next week. So I'll be back the week after that with uh, another episode. Uh, until then, wherever you are, I hope you are staying safe and doing well. Uh, Have a wonderful Friday and a great weekend ahead.